0: I could be like an announcer, like a man. I don't believe what I just saw! And, you know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? you believe in miracles Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast about a talk show host. This is In The Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I
1: think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. How things were lining up in such a way for Syracuse to be in position to take advantage of various circumstances to play well and beat Florida State. And that's what happened. They did. Now you come in and how good do you think you are? And do you channel that confidence in the right way or the wrong in in terms of uh, being distracted or being full of yourself or being spread thin. It's a fact that after big games like this, more requests for your time, coaches' interviews, and that type of stuff come in. That's a proven fact. It's human nature. Uh, These national programs are interested in the top 25 teams or those that beat the top 25 teams, people that are trending uh, at or near the top of their conferences. And that's where Syracuse is for right now, and that will only continue if they take care of business. If you're 4-0 after this, it'd be pretty historic in that it's the first time since 1991. Now you're going on the road to a top five team in Clemson, two unbeaten teams in a nationally televised game, on ABC, that's the job of Dino Babers right now is to focus his team, uh, cleaning up a couple of little things. And you can join us by phone at four ESPN forty four four three seven seven six four four. Adam Terry coming up, cleaning up on uh, a couple things that uh, happened, uh, you know, in the the Twitter landscape here in the last uh, day or so. Tweeted out a picture last night of uh, during the player interviews of Brian Higgins. Interviewing Tommy DeVito, there was some reaction. Oh, he'll start on Saturday. He's not going to start on Saturday. Okay? I would be uh, exceptionally blown away, surprised. Eric Dungy's fine. Uh, we talked with Dino Babers today a little bit about visors for quarterbacks, and that's, a, I guess, the epitome of the horses out of the barn. If Dungy got poked in the eye and or got the turf beads in his eye, um, uh, nothing you can do about it with a visor now other than minimize the chance of it happening again. But Dungy's an au naturel kind of guy. He would play without pads if they let you. And he wants to feel it and see it. And so I don't know that that will be a thing for him. Tommy DeVito has worn a visor, and that's a good homework assignment for us to ask exactly how and why uh, that came to be and what in his past – you know whether he got poked in the... It's a clear visor. It's not like he gains any advantage from tint or hiding his eyes or any of that. But uh, we'll see if that's something that might be in the offing going forward for Eric Dungy. But expect Dungy to start on Saturday. I'm sure the Orange would love to treat this game like Wagner. It's a bit presumptuous at this point. But uh, they would be very, very happy to play two or more quarterbacks and more running backs and that type of thing if the game should unfold that way. And it might not. Uh, Connecticut does have capable personnel, and I think their struggles this year do need to be taken in the context of the fact they've played a couple of uh, talented teams, ranked teams, losing at home early to Central Florida, and then uh, getting run over uh, against Boise State. Syracuse technically uh, ranked as well but uh, or receiving votes, I should say, not not technically ranked, but uh, in that neighborhood there for uh, the first time in a while. Connecticut's quarterback, David Pindell, has run for 150 yards in one game, 130 yards in another. He provides really the first dual threat that's lined up against uh, Syracuse this year, somebody that really could burn you with his legs. Running back, Kevin Mensa is a pretty good one, went for close to 600 yards. Last year, and uh, had a big game in their high-scoring game, a close win against Rhode Island on Saturday. They spread the ball around, and we'll introduce you more to their personnel uh, tomorrow and in the days uh, leading up to and getting set for kickoff Saturday in the Dome. When we come back here in the booth, we'll have Adam Terry on. He's our regular Saturday booth partner. Uh, What does he feel about uh, the Florida State game now that there's been some time to uh, let that one soak in a little bit? How do you... uh, Go into these games where you're favored, and it's not because it's so evident as it was against Wagner when you're playing a lower division team. Connecticut has the series lead against Syracuse. I don't think Syracuse should be pumping its chest, uh, puffing its chest out, or beating its chest here about uh, any great shakes in recent memory here relative to UConn's uh, struggles. Right now, UConn's rebuilding and is in a lesser conference, but uh, the last. And Syracuse one of the last two meetings between these two. But uh, UConn does have the upper hand and uh, with Randy Edsel, a lot of familiarity there. So this one is not to be taken lightly, although the Orange are, and well-deserved, are comfortable favorites in this game. So we'll visit with Adam Terry about that as we continue. Get into this uh, Belichick book business that uh, Ian O'Connor's been on every... Uh, show on this station already today on ESPN Radio, pumping the the Belichick book. Sounds like there's some interesting stuff there. And whatever might be on your mind is fair game today if you'd like to chime in by phone at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. We are In The Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In The Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio, Syracuse and Utica, hello to you again. Nobody's jumped off the, the bus just yet as we join you uh, for the third consecutive day. Utica's uh, first week rolling along on the program.
0: I There's think we had a- one guy jump off the bus.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Just <laughs> but, one? Or just, just one. <laughs> oh, you had actual evidence? Or
0: Yeah, I got actual evidence. Oh, you do? You'll get a laugh out of it. Okay. Like, we'll share that off Not the somebody,
1: <laughs> somebody just quit? What? Somebody quit? Or No, just All the right. listener. Okay, well, good. Well, I like that too. We can see if we can win him back. Adam Terry joins us. Show is brought to you, as always by Marriott Syracuse Downtown. Hello, Adam. What's happening, man? How are you, man? Good. Uh, rock and roll. I, I was doing better before. I felt like we lost somebody from the from the audience or Utica, or whatever. Paulie's got a little story. We'll get into that. Um, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going back here. I, I was actually going to kind of look uh, refresh my memory on your era here, and I'm trying to think about games that you may have had against uh, Rutgers probably where, you know, yes, they're sort of kind of on your same level. You know, in other words, this Connecticut game we all think is one where Syracuse is a heavy favorite and should overmatch them, but it's not in the way that you know that about Wagner. And how, how should we think about confidence versus overconfidence – versus, you know, act like you've been there, you know, that type of attitude. What's it like in the the hallways this week, do you think, where pretty much everybody on the team's got to be feeling pretty good? These last two victories were so sound, um, so completely three phases, that uh, they got to be feeling pretty good about themselves, but they can't get too far out ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I just revert back to we played Temple down in the vet, and uh, I don't remember who the kicker was, but... We're playing Temple. I do. And, I'm
1: just not going to say his name.
2: Yeah, I, I, I do as well, but I just don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But, you know, we're down at Temple. We're down playing in the old vet as the uh, rats are running across the field. It's a miserable day. I think I gave up two sacks on the day. We we play to uh, – we score at the end of the game. We have the ability to go ahead, and we clink it off the goalpost. So. That's a game you're supposed to go and win, supposed to go and dominate, and to leave with a uh, with a loss is probably one of the most demoralizing things. So, for Syracuse coming into the dome this week, it's it's an expectation that they should win. You're going to have a lot of confidence, a lot of bravado. Guys think they should get out of the game a little bit earlier than they may not, than they may necessarily get out. But it's it's also one that. If they don't do that, this is the this is the road bump in their schedule. They have to go in, go and compete, and and come out with a victory like they have over the last three weeks.
1: To put that Temple game into a little bit of context, obviously we're talking about two thousand two. There had been uh, a pretty good winning streak against Temple, of course, going into it. The previous year, Adam, a win here in the dome, forty-five to three. The next year, two thousand three, a win in the dome, forty-one to seven. But in 0-2, just as you said, a miserable day. Both teams really played poorly, but all is going to be right with the world with a late touchdown. You just got to kick the extra point, go into overtime, and win it. And uh, that's not how it worked out. And then,
2: yeah, it, yeah, it was a, it was a horrible situation. Yeah, miserable play home.
1: Well, and it's also the day that we, uh, Paulie, will remember this. That we remember fondly for the day that uh, Mark Johnson, my uh, former partner and coach Mac. Missed the bus leaving the stadium because <laughs> <laughs> veteran stadium is completely round. Right. And when it's completely round, you sort of lose your uh, bearings a little bit. That's hard to harder to find landmarks. They came out and they could have gone left like a hundred feet to the bus. They came out, they took a right. They went all the way around the stadium to back to where they should have been in the first place. Now at that point, the bus was gone and, uh, there's great stories about how Coach Mack was able to, and this is post 9/11, was able to sail through the uh, airport security and everything to get to where they needed to be on time, just because people recognized him and he treated them so well, and they they made it to the plane on time. They just missed the bus from the uh, from the stadium. Gotcha. He also hit his head on the back of the press box when that extra point was missed. He hit his hand on the table so hard that he fell backwards. And
0: Mark Johnson. And that- Mark That's
1: jo- the one he fell over out
0: of his chair. Yes. <laughs> Mark Johnson almost missed that game also because he forgot his wallet prior to the yes. game in the hotel and drove to Delaware in my rental car on right. An accident.
1: Right. Yeah, he took a wrong <laughs> turn. He was headed headed uh, across the bridge the wrong way to Delaware. I was on standby <laughs> it was a hell for of that. A day. Yeah, that was not not a great day to be uh, to be orange, and actually lost the next time down uh, to Temple in 2004 as well. Yeah, so- we won't. All right, so that that wasn't that really the point, the, the point of bringing up the conversation. Yeah, that,
2: that one would have put us in the Fiesta Bowl, but that's yeah. neither here nor there.
1: Certainly. And, you know, talking about this idea of keeping it rolling and keeping focus, what are the most important things for you this week? You know, to me, we can look at Connecticut's performance on paper and see that they've been pretty much overmatched and they look to be obviously in a rebuild with a young team. You still have to do it. You know, they're not going to come here and, and roll over. Uh, you have to continue to play well. How do you keep that up through the practice week and, and stay sharp here?
2: I that, that's a top down, you know. So you look at Dino and you look at Ward and Lynch as the offense and defense or defense and offensive coordinator, and those are the guys that it's attention to detail, it's focus, it's making sure that if they are supposed to run around at eight yards and they cut it off at six and a half, that that's addressed because those things not only will creep up on you now, but will creep up on you later in the season when it is a more meaningful game. So you can't lose the one that is, uh, should be a win, but it's also, you don't want to build bad habits so that later on down the season, uh, you've got third and eight and you run at six and a half and, you saw that at the beginning of the season with, with a game like this. So it's it's just focused to detail. Uh, they've got to they've got to clean up some of the penalties. Um, you know they're playing with a lot of physicality, which will bring on some of the um, personal fouls and stuff like that. But those are things that need to be negated as well. You never know when that tide will shift or when it will change uh, in a game with a penalty like that.
1: The expression is either coaching it or allowing it to happen. And if we uh, do see that later in the year, you're right. Some of those things could have been uh, nipped in the bud. Adam Terry is our guest, former Orange uh, offensive tackle and our radio analyst for IMG on the game broadcast Saturday. Uh, Adam will join uh, Lisa and uh, Gomez down at the Sheridan to start at 1 o'clock. And our uh, coverage will continue right on through. It's a 4 o'clock kickoff on Saturday afternoon in the Dome. And, Adam, given your position, you know – Probably more than people recognize, the offensive line needs to be in tune, uh, certainly with the quarterback, but also with the various running backs and, and in the running game. And I wondered what your thought was of the approach that we've seen so far with Dino Babers says, you know, I'd love to have one back that can stay in there, that has the stamina, that can carry it as much as we do, that knows all the blocking and the protections, and that way we can really go tempo because we're not subbing at that position. But right now they have been running, for all intents and purposes, three backs in there, uh, pretty much with with no rhyme or reason. It's it's Strickland and and it's Dante Strickland and Moniel to get the early carries, and then Jarvion Howard has been used uh, primarily in the second half. What do you view as the approach, and and how do you think it'll play out going forward?
2: Oh, well, it seems you know, just initial impression. Moniel's the guy. Um, that's kind of come on. He's the hot hand. Basically what I think is who's the hot hand right now. It's You look at Moneal and what he's been able to accomplish. Strickland is the guy that he's a solid overall back. He's not going to wow you with tremendous speed um, out in the open, but he does have the breakaway speed if necessary. A little bit more of a pounder. And then Howard is the guy that hasn't come out of nowhere in, in my eyes or your eyes from – Training camp, we watched him, and, and he, we understood he was extremely talented. But I think he's the taking the next step into a viable option as a running back. So, And then you've always got Eric Dungy as a running back, too. So why not throw a fourth in there um, for good measure? But it's, it's a situation where at some point it's going to get narrowed down, I think. I would like to say that as you start to get deeper and deeper in the ACC. You know, who's the guy each week that can pick up the blitzes and who's the guy that has seen a bunch of uh, different dogs and blitzes off of uh, linebackers or safety. So there's going to come an experience level, too, because the offensive line has grown, as we've spoken of in the past. They've evolved into a unit that can pick up stunts, blitzes, dogs, et cetera, et cetera. And now you're looking at uh, who is that running back that, you know, third and long, you're down in a hostile environment, who is the kid that can pick up that blitz or you know, understand that his guy is blitzing, he can become the quick uh, outlet or check down. So really, it's, it's a hot-hand guy. It, that's what it seems like right now.
1: Adam Terry is our guest, the Orange Hand at UConn Friday at 4. And Adam, we've seen other programs. You know, The ones that come to mind right now are Florida State and Louisville. You know, Clemson has had a lot of good players and over the years has put a lot of people in the NFL. So, like, the next man up is always really good. You know, Florida State came in here on Saturday and th- three of their running backs had had their career high against Syracuse before. So that means three guys, certainly two of them, Cam Akers and Jaquez Patrick, had both had huge games. You know, uh, Akers in the absence of Patrick, uh, Patrick in the absence of Dalvin Cook when, uh, when he couldn't go in a game. And. It seems like late in the season, you know, Louisville will do once in a while. You know, here's their one and two guy, but their third guy might, on a given day, pop up. And I wonder if Jarvion Howard, how far off we are from seeing where he might have a twenty carry game and and go for. You know, they're looking for a hundred yard back, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's this week, to be honest with you, because I think that's the way they can manhandle Connecticut. But maybe the freshman jumps in there sooner than later.
2: Well, I also think, you know, as, as we've kind of spoken of in the past, probably the the best back that I've seen is sitting on the bench. He has to sit out one year right now. So these guys have to impress right away. Jermaine Howard, he has a, a knack for taking something, a small opening, and he has the power, the speed, and the agility to, to turn nothing out of, you know, something out of nothing. So I, I like him. I, I like what he's capable of doing. And what it always comes back to in Dino Baber's offense is, do they know the protection because they're the guy calling the protection for the offensive line um, opposed to a nor- normally what it would be as a quarterback in the backfield. So that that's the that's the key in, in how fast. This was the question with Neal last year was how fast can he learn that um, play calling and, and protection calling to, to get out there and make an impact and that's probably going to be the same thing with Howard this year.
1: And last thing you talk about Dungy as a running back that's one of Connecticut's threats David Pindell has had two really good running games so far this year. He leads them in you know carries and running yards and running touchdowns and has been throwing it pretty well to uh, six touchdowns and, and three picks so far uh, obviously it's a, a UConn team that's been overmatched you know, in the two major opponents that it's uh, played this year, but uh, how well suited do you think Syracuse is to play against a running quarterback?
2: Uh, I don't know how well suited, but it'll be a great test because going down, you know, there's two or three teams in the ACC that will run the quarterback quite often. You know, Clemson being one that they will run them around. Uh, if not, it, it, Trevor Lawrence will get in there and, and kind of do a similar offense in Clemson. So it'll be a first true test. Uh, Brian Ward's done a great job game planning so far and the, the the thing that the thing that we've seen that we didn't see last year is third down you know they were 13th in the country going into this past game in third down percentage and then they allowed uh, only one first down in the game i believe
1: well, there's more first downs, but yeah, on, on third down conversions. Third,
2: third, third down, down conversions. Florida State was one for 14. Third down
1: conversions. Right now, Adam, so, uh, Syracuse is second in the country in third down defense. Opponents are eight for 42, 19%.
2: That's, it's, it's an unbelievable stat that last year they were capable of doing, and, and there were some missed tackles and miscues and some MAs. The thing that they're doing this year is there are guys, there are no big openings. There's no big holes. There's... There are guys in the hole where they're supposed to be. So if, if a defensive tackle is supposed to be in the B-gap uh, and a linebacker is supposed to be in the C-gap, this year everybody's in the right position thus far, opposed to last year where you might see a safety trying to run across the field to make a, uh, a big stop because they ran through the C-gap and nobody was standing there. And, and then also on top of that, they've done a fantastic job of tackling. It also helps that you've got – Alton Robinson and and Kendall Coleman coming into their own, which just puts puts the offensive tackle and offensive line into insomnia the night before the game. So it's they have the defense that's going well, but then also they've got the pass rush, which helps the secondary solidify their position on third down.
1: Awesome stuff. Appreciate it. Um, looking forward to Saturday and and uh, see if four and zero, oh, that'd be pretty tall cotton, man. It's even before your time, if you can believe it.
2: It will be. I mean, I can't imagine it. Can you? No. Like, well, it, it'd be even before it, my it time so, as a
1: student to give you an idea. That's long, long time ago. It's uh, so
2: exciting! Even even Paulie'll crack a smile.
1: Well, we'll see about that. We'll have to wake him up and uh, and tell him what happened. I got you, <laughs> Adam. We appreciate right, that. Uh, Adam's talking about people being in the right place, tackling, and uh, defense. A couple of little factoids there. I'd given the nugget earlier in the show about Connecticut is last in the country in 10-yard, 20-yard, 30-yard plays allowed. Who's last in 50-yard plays allowed? Syracuse. gave up. Uh, They've given up five in three games, but four of those were in the first game. And so that's evidence that uh, some of those holes have been plugged in terms of the big plays. The deep ball throw most notably uh, marked the Western Michigan game. So... Uh, that is something that has uh, been shored up. I will say that about this year, last time, you know, not second in the country, but not far off, the Orange were really good defensively across the board early last season, too, you know, a function of the competition, Central Connecticut, Central Michigan, uh, et cetera. They were one of the top third down teams in America for the first quarter of the season. It's a matter of sustaining that. That's the question.
0: Uh, something you just said with Adam also, I was talking about earlier. There's a whole generation in this town that doesn't know what Syracuse football it was that yeah. good that ever went for. You know, there's a group of people that never saw this team 4-0 no, no before, and that's insane, and it's, Yeah, right? It's
1: been kind of a, a running joke, and and uh, I alluded to it on Monday. I kind of went to a, a charity event on Sunday, and people are you know coming up and talking about the game, and I, I mentioned a lot of them are talking about the heat in the dome and blah, blah, blah. We beat that dead horse. But then related to their reaction to the game, it gives you a little feel about what their perception of the program is, accurately or not. And so the whole idea, well, you know, they haven't been anything in 15, 20 years. Well, yes, they've been down. And it's just funny how people look at it. And I'm not going to go to a charity event and start mixing it up with people. But one of my classic pushbacks is, well, they just had a stretch where they won bowls in three out of four years. There was not really a great bounce forward from that. and, And I know Steve alluded to it on his show yesterday when you've got the coaching change and those types of things. They've short-circuited some of the success that this program actually has had uh, in recent past, despite uh, news and thought to the contrary. We'll see if this time around there actually can be a corner turned and a continued ascent. Take a break here. Come back with Do We Care? Your call's always welcome for ESPN 44, 315-437-7644. In the booth for Marriott Syracuse Downtown on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. On ESPN Radio here in Central New York, brought to you by Marriott Syracuse Downtown. Here until 3 o'clock today. Back tomorrow, I have Randy Edsel on the show tomorrow. Joe Morris on Friday. Morris is number 47 to be raised to the Carrier Dome Rafters at halftime of Saturday's game against UConn. Now here's Tommy. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore.
3: Don't care more. So a guy placed a bet on the Denver Broncos in Oakland, uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, Oakland Raiders. Sorry. Still, still Oakland. As Denver was driving down the field and already in field goal range, he placed a $110 bet, which would have won him $18. But he happened to placed this bet in an 18-second time frame where there was a glitch in the system that gave him 750 to 1 odds instead of the minus 600 odds that he thought he was placing it on. So instead, he won $82,000 on this bet. And FanDuel offered him $500 and tickets to three Giants games. He turned it down and is going to sue to try to get this $82,000 from FanDuel.
1: Yeah, obviously he's got to be able to document that that's what the odds actually were and that he bet. he did all his part on the up and up and on the fair and square. Um, obviously, FanDuel's trying to get out from under. I'm trying to think of what, I guess it's FanDuel as opposed to walking up to a casino. Under what circumstances are you betting, what was the bet for? They're going to score in this, this to possession? Win. For, oh, for to win to the win. game as they're going in. Correct and so hit the payout was so low because obviously they were on their way to winning yeah, the they're game. Yeah, they are already
3: in comfortable field field goal position.
1: Uh that's amazing that the, they're going but the, it's on the part of the house to have the fail safes in place that keep this from happening. And so that's on them. You know that they've made them they've made the mistake. Obviously it was fixed within 18 seconds but not fast enough for this bet and that's why they they need to use uh some of the excess of the money they're making from this to to uh, guard against an issue like that. So I would imagine he would win a lawsuit.
0: Also, offering about $1,000 worth of prize right. money for an $82,000 mistake isn't exactly stepping up to the plate. No, either, I was going to you know? say, yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's funny that uh, they showed on SportsCenter Kristen Yelich uh, hit uh, for the cycle for the second time, and the the home run ball was caught by a kid, and they showed the kid exchanging the ball for a bat. And I was thinking... You know, is that a fair enough trade and i think guess it kind of is i mean yeah. a bats better to have and display than a ball plus he got to meet him and get pictures and whatever and and whatever but it's not like it was uh you know fabulous cash and prizes and lots of riches um but yeah this guy obviously is a degenerate who's uh betting on <laughs> and, uh, drives as they're happening but uh, i would imagine he's going to in the end he i don't know if he will get 82,000 but he'll get more than uh, three tickets and five hundred bucks.
3: Scott Van Pelt did his one big thing on this for a sports center yesterday, and he completely sided with Fanduel. Actually, thinks that they should. The guy should only get the eighteen dollars. He thinks the guy's crazy for suing, which I was surprised by. I I, I was surprised that he was on the. Is side this of, like
1: an extreme example of Stephen Fani's uh, speech yesterday on the show about? Well, they're they're starting four and zero, so uh, wouldn't it be a disappointment <laughs> if they won only six games? <laughs> well, this guy, you could say, you know, well, all he. All he could have expected to win, he knew when he walked up to the window or pressed the button to, to be involved that the bet was to either lose 110 or to win 18, and uh, he should have been satisfied with the 18, right? That's that's what he was, was signing up for, and, and obviously when you give somebody 82K and you try to take it away, that's a big deal.
0: And in Vegas, they tend to, if they make this type of mistake and get the odds wrong... They tend to pay you out and then tell you you can't bet here again. Yeah, I ever like that.
3: That's kind of badass, yeah. But I don't think, what's weird is it wasn't hit. like he just happened to bet in it. I don't think he knew, like or he saw this. I this guess that's what I'm then, getting
1: at, is, is yeah. how would he have known exactly. that this could have happened or, or known to expect it? Um, well, it must be just when they hit go to hit print or when, whenever they carry over that, that win. Can't be the only person.
3: That's yeah, that's at least the way that I read it is that he didn't see the glitch and tried to take advantage of it. It just happened in the time that he placed this bet. So I really don't think he should even be penalized, like you said, for with Vegas of being banned from betting ever or forever from this place. It wasn't it was just a complete fluke, really, on his part. Uh Jimmy Butler has just recently now requested a trade from the Minnesota uh Timberwolves. He has a list of three teams, uh, the Knicks, the Nets, and the Clippers are the three teams, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, that he would be willing to trade to be traded to and re-sign with this off Yeah, next I, offseason.
1: I see Jimmy Butler every day because uh, the first picture on our office at ACC Network when you walk in is uh, Johnny Flynn driving right past Jimmy Butler, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, and uh, you know I have no idea what's going on here other than the first thing that comes to my mind is. He's had enough of Tom Thibodeau. He's played with him in Chicago and Minnesota. Thibodeau's a great coach, but he's a hard charging, driving coach who demands a lot out of his players. and And uh, I would think after a while, Jimmy Butler feels like that's enough.
0: Uh it's interesting that he wants to go to New York or New Jersey. Like it's. it's I love the
1: whole NBA mentality, like that. It's up to you to choose what team you go to. That's the whole culture now.
0: He apparently does not want to win by his three choices. To
1: me, it sounds markets. like he, yeah, he wants to be in a big market. And in either of those places, he wouldn't be the biggest thing in a big market. And, and maybe he's he's fine with that.
3: He did just meet with Tom Thibodeau yesterday. So this must have been the, the uprise or the answer to their meeting was to send Probably. him packing. Maybe. Uh, and a book was written about Bill Belichick, titled Belichick. And in it, it says that Tom Brady considered a divorce from Belichick this offseason. He he said that being with a, a grouchy old man for 18 years, sometimes you want to leave, and this year he, he considered that option.
1: Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I don't know where Brady's going to go. It'd be hard to picture him in any other uniform or having the, the same setup anywhere else, but people wear on one another. That the, There's no surprise in that. To me, the money quote of this thing is, been what they put on Center all day today that they've got an, an unnamed assistant coach saying, well, we're not saying that our system could win the Super Bowl with any quarterback, but pretty much if you give us the top half of quarterbacks in the NFL, we think we can do it. And that Robert Kraft thinks that Brady is God's gift, but the rest of the coaching staff not so much. So th- basically they're saying that the coaching staff, including Belichick, thinks Brady's pretty much just a guy and that they have uh, put him in position to to be as productive as he has, and uh, that one, to me, is the hot take and is is the inflammatory thing that, that Brady ought to uh, to be upset about. Uh, but it is an interesting discussion. How would, good would Brady be on another team, or if they had Joe Flacco or Nick Foles or anybody else, what would they have won? And that's what uh, makes sports and bar room uh, conversations interesting. Thanks, Tommy. No problem. Back with more to wrap up the show. When we come back, you're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio. Back tomorrow and Friday as well, 2 o'clock. Randy Edsel, Joe Morris will be our respective guests. You never know who else might swing by. Previewing the game, the Orange and UConn, on, on Saturday. Said we were uh, happy to have uh, Utica on board this week, Pauly. Apparently Utica's not so happy to have us.
0: <laughs> yeah, one guy thought I'd re- said I'd rather hear Stephen A. Smith than how hot it is in the Carrier Sorry. Dome. Well, that's one. And
1: that's fine. Stephen A., though, he's keeping an eye on Syracuse. If you follow his Twitter account, he spoke to the team uh, right before the start of the season. He and uh, John Wildhack are close, and, and uh, they suggested a meeting, and Stephen A. spoke to the team. They kind of bonded, and he's been watching these results, and tweeting out boys after the game, like with names, like, hey, I saw you DeVito, I saw you Pierce, you know. He, nice. He's, so he's well coached. He's either actually watching the games and and uh, paying good attention, or he's been well coached in uh, how to fake it. In BS? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I would bet the latter, given uh, the rest of his persona and the way he goes about it. You could hear Stephen A. right here on days when uh, Steve and... Uh, Seth are not in, including today. All right, we'll be back tomorrow at 2. For Tommy and Polly. I'm Matt. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is ESPN Radio.